Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on Pinnacle Health's achievements in patient safety can be found at pinnaclehealth.org quality. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. WITS Real Life Real Issues Juvenile Justice Series continues today as we hear from a judge and a prosecutor. The juvenile justice system is much different than adult criminal court. One of the big differences is there is a team approach in the juvenile system that involves probation, judges, prosecutors, and defense attorneys. WITF was given unique access to the juvenile justice system in Cumberland County. So today we'll hear from Judge Tom Placey and District Attorney Dave Freed. First, Judge Placey. Judge Tom Placey, thank you very much for being with us today. Appreciate being here. What are the responsibilities of a judge that hears cases involving juveniles? There are a variety of responsibilities under the balance and restorative justice program that we use. It's not only to the juvenile for the safety of the community and for the juvenile's rehabilitation, but also for the victim. So we have to consider all those players, if you will, when we go to adjudicate a juvenile and adjust their behavior so that they become uh, socially acceptable. I, I want to talk about the process and how it's different from adult criminal court in just a moment, but something you just brought up, I think it's a good time to talk about it. Uh, you obviously have a different mindset as a judge in adult criminal court than what you do in juvenile court. What is the different mindset? I wouldn't call it a mindset as much as you wear different hats, just like you wear a different hat when you're dealing with civil court than criminal court. Um, You put on a different hat when you're dealing with a a juvenile court system, and it is less formal. Uh, It's not designed to be what you see on TV, law and order type shows, but rather to be addressing and specifying what needs the juvenile has and what needs the victim and or the community have. So you've got to address the needs as they're presented. Well, let's talk about the difference between adult criminal court and juvenile court. What are the big differences? First and foremost, there's no jury trials in in juvenile court. Everything is handled by the judge sitting as finder of fact who he or she will make the decision as to whether the evidence is proven beyond a reasonable doubt, same standard as criminal, uh, that the juvenile committed a delinquent act, in other words, a a crime. That's the key major difference, non-jury, and uh, the judge has to sit as finder of fact solely on all that. Walk us through the process, if you would. The police find out a incident has occurred, they do their investigation, they determine that there is probable cause, reasonable belief that a crime has been committed and by a juvenile, in which case they don't file a criminal complaint as they would in adult court. They will file written allegations, and that's the formal term they throw to the charges as they come from the police. As they come up, not to a magisterial district judge, but rather to the juvenile probation office, who then begins the file, starts uh, gathering the information necessary to get the juvenile, juvenile's parents and or guardians in, uh, start getting them representation. Everybody in Cumberland County has always been represented by an attorney. Get the information to the district attorney, who... At that point, the district attorney's got to make a decision whether or not to charge the juvenile or take some alternative, some diversionary-type program, and we have several. The district attorney, if charges are warranted, will file what's known as a petition alleging delinquency, as opposed to in the criminal 
side of things, they would file an information. After the petition is filed, the juvenile will first get to see me, whether it's determined whether the juvenile should be detained, uh, taken out of their home, placed in a facility for uh, their security, with the security of the community. After that for that hearing to determine whether they should be detained, it's called a probable cause hearing. If probable cause exists, then we determine what needs we have to do for the immediate uh, safety of the child in the community. Next step is a finding of fact hearing. Did an event, criminal event occurred? Was this juvenile involved in it beyond a reasonable doubt? After that, you go to an adjudication hearing which is we acknowledge the juvenile has committed a delinquent act. What do we do about it? We see what services are in play, what needs are. Person, juvenile may have committed a retail theft, but we find out he's got a chronic heroin problem, or we find out he's got a chronic home problem. We address those specific needs as opposed to an adult court where somebody comes in and is charged with DUI, there's a standard sentence. You get uh, 48 hours for a first offense. There's no standard sentence. There is no sentence in juvenile court in that sense. It sounds as if what you described, that uh, the whole system is working closer with the child, the juvenile. And Yes, that is true, and in a much faster time constraint. Uh, the adult system, uh, what I described to you, could take months to get done. In the juvenile system, uh, I will have a probable cause hearing within 72 hours, and I will have a finding of fact hearing within 10 days and adjudicate the juvenile within 20 days after the finding of fact hearing, assuming nobody asks for a continuance. Judge, what is your main goal as a juvenile judge? My goal is to, number one, get a productive member of society long-term out of the juvenile, protect society, which goes back to the first point, and second, make sure that the victim has been informed of what's going on, has had an opportunity to participate in the process, and has been made whole as much as we can. Uh, obviously, I can't take back certain things that the juvenile has done, but if it's a financial situation, I can make sure that uh, in, in those types of cases where the victim is an out-of-pocket money. How do you think about the rights of and the future of the juvenile, along with the rights and well-being of the victim or public safety? Uh, it, it's not like I have to battle one against the other. They can be mutually beneficial to each other. Uh, Sometimes I have some damage that's done uh, to a park, a community building, something like that. And rather than having the victim made whole by having some kind of community service done at the victim's location, I get other service providers in the community who need volunteer service. And the victim gives, or the juvenile gives back there, not necessarily to their specific victim, but to others who need those services, who need the assistance that the juvenile can provide. And they've done things all over the community. And I'm talking from the farm show, and you will see them at the farm show if you go. Uh, there's kids volunteering there, some of which are doing community service hours for me. And uh, to nursing homes, calling bingo, uh, anything that I can think of or the juvenile probation office can think of to help somebody else out and promote the sense of service to the community that the juvenile needs to have. What works and what doesn't? That is the key model approach we're trying to figure out here, and we continue to try and improve ourselves on. What evidence-based practice is working for somebody who's got an alcohol problem or who's got a mental health issue or uh, some family issue or some learning deficit? Uh, what is what? programs can we use to promote them? We don't see as much recidivism as we did in the past, but we still do see a number of repeat offenders because they can't get off 
whatever substance they're hooked on, or they uh, just can't get out of that mindset, that lifestyle where I don't have to go to school. And it's, it's changing that behavior, that thought process, uh, and what type of, I'll use the word treatment, but it doesn't have to be a treatment, what type of protocol will be successful. And when we find ones that aren't, we're, we're rejecting them and we're moving on to ones that do work and, and working cost-effectively that way. How do you communicate with uh, with these kids? I am engaged with these children that come in front of me. I want to engage them. The first thing I do uh, after the introductions is I ask who they brought with me, and I make with them, excuse me, and I make them introduce them, their family members, to me, and I welcome the family members there, and I continue to try and engage the child to see uh, what they're what they're capable of doing. A lot of them haven't gotten the skill sets to communicate verbally as well as the lawyer standing next to them, and that's okay. You can read their body language. Are they leaning over? Are they looking at the ceiling? Uh, are they paying attention at all? And, and they can react to you, and you can see that and make adjustments in how you handle them right from there. Well, give me an example, if you would. There are two examples. One is where you have a person you know is engaged and you know is listening to you, and you say, this is what the, the probation office is expecting from you. Uh, is, can you do X? Can you do Y? Can you do Z? And they say yes, because they think that's what you, you want to hear. And then you say, how are you going to do it? You know, tell me how. And, and you engage them, and, and they will give you feedback on that. And you have other that you have to uh, react in such a way to bring them in, uh, whether it's standing yourself, uh, whether it's excluding somebody else from the room that may be a distractor from them. Um, it, call it dramatic, if you will, but you take that dramatic act uh, to bring them back into what you want them to do. Judge, one of the, the senses I get is, and one of the reasons that WITF is producing this series, is that the public doesn't know a whole lot about the juvenile justice system. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I would agree lawyers don't know a whole lot about the juvenile justice system. It's not something they teach you in law school. Uh, it's an on-the-job training for a number of lawyers that come in front of me. They come in and they have this zealous advocate mode like they're in trial court. There's no jury. I see them pounding on the desk, hollering, you know, being demonstrative for their client. And I look over and I point to the jury box and I tell them, there's no jury here. You're talking to me and I'm talking to you. We're having a dialogue. Uh, it, so that they, the lack of formality can come as a shock to some attorneys. What about the public, though? Uh, the public, I, I can't speak for them because I, I don't have that kind of knowledge. I can speak to the people who have come in in front of me as victims. Uh, and they, they were, some were happy to see that I was so engaged with them uh, because they, they thought they would never get acknowledgement as being a victim. Uh, I actually told w one young girl who was assaulted, uh, I had uh, the conversation with her and told her how proud I was with her that she stopped being a victim. She stopped letting people uh, take advantage of her, and she was proud of herself, and it was an affirmation that she needed, and she wrote me a letter after that, afterwards. Uh, I have other uh, victims who come in and uh, think the system's too soft because we don't do what you see on TV. But that's the perception I get from the public is as they come in through the victims. I, I get the sense that this is what the public does, is that they compare everything to adult criminal court. They do. They do. And, and that's part of my job when I come in and see somebody who comes in as a victim, or even as a witness at times, I have to explain to them why it's different. And I always try and thank them for coming in. Because normally if you go into adult court, it's next witness you know, or Joe Friday, just the facts. Uh, here I, I try and engage them as well. 
Do most of these kids who come before you, you say that uh, you like to talk to their families, have their families introduced, do most of them bring family members along? Is that a requirement? Anyone who's under 18, and there's some juveniles whose cases go to their more than 18, uh, anybody who's under 18 usually has a family member there, and if they don't have a family member, and I know there's one out there, I'll stop the proceeding until we can get a family member in, because it takes that whole body of commitment, not only from the DA, the juvenile probation uh, attorneys uh, for the juvenile and the juvenile, but the juvenile's family, because we're sending them back into the community at some point, and if that family hasn't bought into the program, we're going to fail. You've just touched on my next question, and that is the role of the family. You know, because we know that uh, many of uh, these kids come from broken homes. Uh, They come from uh, homes where there is substance abuse, maybe just not themselves, but amongst their parents or the adults around. Uh, So it it would seem as though sometimes you, you, you have to give a talking to the parents as well. That's true. And sometimes you have to pull the parents in here. You have to send the sheriff out to say, Go bring mom, go bring dad in. When parents come in on their own, it is steps ahead in the case for us because we've got somebody who's willing to engage with us and willing to work towards whatever goals the child presents with needs. Some are not. Some, they just have so much emotional drama at home. Sending the child back to that home is never going to be good for the child. And we have to find something else to do, whether it's a a family-related caregiver or uh, some other type of service. Judge, you're in a position to see what crimes are being committed or laws being broken. What are you seeing mostly today? I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, the opioid crisis. In addition to the substance abuse, and opioids are one, uh, and those are the self-destructive ones for the kids. But we also see assaults assaultive behavior, Uh, whether it's sexual assault or physical assault, uh, because they don't know how to, uh, number one, be in an adult relationship that involves sex, or they don't know how to react to somebody who doesn't give them their way or doesn't uh, respond appropriately to their position, and then they end up getting physical. And then physical in today's age doesn't mean they have a a fight. It means somebody's brought a gun, somebody's brought a knife, and uh, we're treating gunshot wounds or lacerations. A lot of young people have access to guns. In your eyes, does that change how you look at a case? As a gun owner, I'm always looking to see who's a responsible gun person whether it's the possessor, whether it's the owner. And some families, we have a lot of guns in Cumberland County. A lot are locked up in family safes, family uh, places of control, whether it's a locked room, whether it's a vault, whether it's a case underneath the bed. Sometimes we don't have that. Sometimes it's uh, the, the children, even though they're not stealing them on the street, have access to them. Uh, I've seen them where we've had them stolen from homes where somebody didn't have them secured in a gun vault. And then they took them and were over in Harrisburg or were down in Baltimore trying to sell them. A young person comes before you and a gun was involved. Does that change your thinking at all? Yes, it has to because the 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 level that they've taken their either violence to or their theft to Uh, is different from somebody who's stealing a loaf of bread to feed themselves or somebody who is trying to uh, protect their property or their neighbor or uh, some other basic right. Uh, When you start using a firearm in there, you have to be extremely cautious. The red flags have to go up. Are there kids that come before you that you think – where this one doesn't really seem to have potential to be rehabilitated or to, you know, go straight and has potential to break the law again? There's nobody, no no child has come before me that I have taken that approach on. If I see that they don't have it, they don't have what it takes to get through the programs that we have available for them, 
I'm going to certify them as an adult, and I've done that on a couple occasions. I actually had one juvenile ask me to certify him as adult because it was a gun case. Uh, and I thought that there was a, a, a reasonable likelihood of some rehabilitation for him, but he clearly was not getting with going to get with the programs. Why, why did – I mean, I, that's, that boggles my mind. He asked to be certified as an adult? Yes, he did. Why? Because uh, he heard what I was going to do what I was going to demand of him uh, in order to be kept in the juvenile system. And he thought, well, I can handle the adult system. I can be in adult prison. That's not a problem. I can do adult time. I don't have to do anything here in juvenile court. This judge is going to make me go through treatment program. He's going to make me go through counseling. He's going to make me go to school. Uh, all number of reasons where the juvenile said, that's too much for me to do. I don't want to do it. Wow. Send me to adult court. Mm. Uh, Judge, we only have a few minutes left. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. There are a lot of uh, good things, positive things going on in Cumberland County when it comes to juvenile justice. But are there things that you would like to see that would have a better outcome? Yes. Uh, and this is part of it, what we're doing right here, educating the people. Because if we, I can get better input from the people that are externally around the system uh, giving me information, I can make better decisions, whether it's the public at large, whether it's the victim, whether it's the prosecutor, whether it's the uh, counsel for the juvenile. Uh, the more education I can get for those folks, and I, and I do mean every one of them, including myself, uh, we in order to get better, we need to take it to the next educational level and take the step forward. Cumberland County Common Pleas Court Judge Tom Placey. Judge, thank you very much for being with us today. Truly appreciate the time to be here. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, bringing quality care to your community through Harrisburg, Community General Osteopathic, and West Shore Hospitals. More information on our locations is available at PinnacleHealth.org. Support for Real Life Real Issues Juvenile Justice comes from the Cumberland County Bar Foundation. Prosecutors want to make sure criminals are made to pay for breaking the law. That is especially true in adult court. For juveniles, a prosecutor is part of the team that weighs in if a juvenile can be rehabilitated and what's best for the juvenile and the victim. Cumberland County District Attorney Dave Freed talked with WITF's Multimedia News Director Tim Lambert about juvenile justice. What is the office's role in the juvenile justice system here in the county? So in Pennsylvania... Um our juvenile justice system is is by statute set up to be separate from the adult criminal system uh, to the point where we use different terms even uh, you know we call the 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 person whose subject of charges is referred to as the juvenile uh, we don't convict we adjudicate uh, we find people in need of, of, of treatment and we have disposition finding of fact hearings instead of trials things of that nature. So the, the role of the DA's office, though, is, is similar in the sense that it's still uh, an adversary system, even though it is focused on the juvenile and focused on the treatment of the juvenile. Uh, we have a role to play uh, as the representative of the public, and to the extent that we need to have finding of fact hearings, uh, we, we prosecute the cases. Uh, so we bring the cases forward. If a case needs to be proven, uh, we do that in court, bring in the witnesses. Now in juvenile court, there are no juries. Uh, everything is done just in front of a judge. In Cumberland County, we have two judges currently uh, doing juvenile cases, Judge Placey and Judge Maslin. We have uh, here, and I think most places, uh, a, a, a pretty collaborative system. Uh, and the Juvenile Act in Pennsylvania, the juvenile system in Pennsylvania, sets itself up for that sort of collaboration. Specifically, uh, in, in this office, I have uh, two prosecutors uh, who work on juvenile cases. One does the bulk of it, the other one sort of at a supervisory level. I have an employee in my victim services division who is, is solely dedicated to doing juvenile cases as sort of the outreach to witnesses and victims uh, in those cases. 
when juvenile uh, cases are filed, uh, again, we have that language difference in the adult system. It's a criminal complaint, an affidavit of probable cause. Uh, that's included here, but it's not a criminal charge. It's a juvenile petition that is filed with the court. It's not filed with the magisterial district judge uh, as with an adult case. When those petitions are filed in juvenile court then, they come to my office, the district attorney's office, uh, and I've worked out a system with, with the juvenile probation department, which is an arm of the court, uh, that the, the uh, petition comes uh, to me because they have to be approved by my office. I do that personally in Cumberland County. Uh, I approve the petitions that are filed, and I make an initial recommendation. I don't have a lot of information when I first get the petition because following the filing, then there's an intake process where the, the, the offender, the uh, alleged offender at that point, will go in and meet with juvenile probation, and they'll start to learn what else is going on in that juvenile's life. So, uh, But the information I have will tell me uh, whether that juvenile in particular uh, is involved in the juvenile justice system here in Cumberland County, uh, whether they have any kind of record, uh, whether they've been through our system before, and then I make an initial recommendation. Uh, recommendations I make uh, are generally, uh, there are generally four. Um, we can recommend, uh, uh, if I don't believe the petition is substantiated, I could just dismiss it right there. Um, but we have such uh, open uh, and constant contact with our police agencies that uh, if, if that decision were to be made, that would be made at the investigative level. I don't believe that, that a petition would be filed and then we would, we would knock it out because we're having contact with the police before that. Uh, and we can choose to divert the case uh, in a couple of different ways. We have youth aid panels as diversion in Cumberland County. Uh, and also uh, something called a consent decree, which, which is done. Youth aid panel is done sort of at the community level. Consent decree is done up here in court, so the dismissal doesn't happen very often. Youth aid panel, uh, uh, consent decree. Or I can say uh, I want us, us to seek an adjudication on a particular charge or the charges, and then that would set the case up to come in front of the judge where we would have a finding effect hearing. Having been in the courtroom, I've seen one hearing, and everything else has just been, you know, the judge listening to the probation officer and the the counselor, I guess, as well as the prosecutor and the, the public defender. So it, it doesn't seem like a trial is usually, you know, it doesn't seem to go to a trial all that much. No, and I think the numbers would be similar to what we do in the adult system, uh, where, where most cases are resolved uh, and, and short of some sort of adversary proceeding. Great example today. We have juvenile court in the morning and the afternoon. Uh, I think there's maybe 14, 15 cases. We have two finding of fact hearings, one this morning, one in the afternoon, because we're able to work most of the cases out. The majority of the cases that we get in juvenile court, probably a, a, a substantial majority, are, are kids who have never been in trouble before. Uh, they are almost automatically diversion cases, whether it's a youth aid panel case. I just looked at three petitions uh, uh, before we started the interview today. Two were youth aid panel cases, and one was a juvenile from another county. And with our contiguous counties, what we do is, is we do the initial part of the case, and then we just send the case to the county, and they do the same thing here. Um, so we don't, we don't try a lot of cases. We're, we're able to work them out. Where, where the... Where the the, uh, the, the rub happens in the system sometimes is in the pace of the cases. Uh, I feel very strongly that, that part of, the, part of the, the spirit of the Juvenile Act of Pennsylvania is, is to get these cases moving as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, because our fondest hope is if we have a juvenile who gets in trouble that we can, we can positively impact that juvenile's system and make sure they don't come back. That's true success. And we've learned uh, with juveniles and certain behaviors, we can really have a lot of success uh, and have really good numbers on recidivism and make, make sure that, 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 that people don't come back. In the last few years, um, we've gotten busier in juvenile court for a combination of reasons. One is we've, we, we're a growing population in Cumberland County, so everything has, has increased. Uh, I don't think the rates of anything have increased, but the numbers have increased. Um, also, uh, starting in about 2013, early 2013, uh, when I started to review the petitions personally, I made a concerted effort that even if we were diverting cases, I wanted, I wanted uh, the juveniles to come into court uh, and to have to appear in front of the judge. There was a process prior to that 
where the consent decree process was allowed to happen without the juvenile ever coming in, and, and, and I didn't believe that was the best way to handle things. So uh, as a system, uh, one of the things that we do well is tailor individual dispositions for cases, and we do not adjudicate. In the adult world, that would mean convict. Uh, we don't adjudicate uh, a, a ton of kids in Cumberland County, uh, and our numbers have been pretty similar over the years, uh, e even with the changes that we've made. Changes that we made just have more kids coming in and, and frankly, having to answer uh, to the judge. Uh, and, and I think it's important for them to understand uh, that there is an entire system uh, uh, that is dealing with these cases, but also trying to help them get onto the straight and narrow. As far as the approach, is it to how important of it is to make sure that the kids are, are taken care of and because there's always these these different factors whether it's family or drugs or broken homes things like that sure well as chief law enforcement officer you know I have to wear an administrative hat uh, and, and then I have to wear the prosecutor hat uh, and administratively you know we want to make sure that we're moving cases and, and that we don't have a backlog and 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 uh, one of the conversations we had this morning uh, regarding juvenile court was how, how do we impact some of these delays you know unfortunately we're seeing more sexual offenses. Uh, we're seeing more of those that are uh, intra-family, so w within the same family. And I think a lot of that is, is frankly, uh, because that's where the potential victims are. Uh, but recognizing, even during that conversation today, we were saying this is happening because kids are inundated with information and imagery constantly that they weren't back when, when I was growing up. And so much of this is experimentation. So we have, to, we have to look at it in that way. And part of the way we find out whether this is really an issue or experimentation is we have to get some sort of evaluation done, which is why I always push to get it done uh, as quickly as we can. Um, you know, you hear the word zero tolerance thrown around, and there is still some zero tolerance going on in terms of the way we get cases from certain school districts. You know, if a kid even mistakenly brings a pocket knife into school, they have a policy where they're filing a charge, which you know, people can debate the merits of that. However, I can tell you up here, we're looking at it as, hey, did this kid bring it as a, as a potential threat or was it in his backpack from the weekend and he never took it out? So th there is no zero tolerance at the, at the, uh, the juvenile court level, uh, which is good. Um, it really comes down to, um, and this is more in the adult system than necessarily the juvenile system. I mean, sometimes we do have to punish people for their actions. Uh, uh, that becomes a factor much more in the adult system than it does in the juvenile system. Now, what we do have often is uh, uh, juveniles who will, will pick up multiple charges over a period of time, uh, charges that do impact the community, charges that impact particular victims, whether it's an assault or a theft or a vandalism type offense. Uh, and there has to be some punishment for that. I mean, we have to have some supervision. We have to make sure that, that restitution gets paid. That's a big part of what we do in juvenile court is, is, is making sure the victims get made whole. And, and that also uh, lets the offender know uh, if you engage in this sort of behavior, there's a price that you have to pay for it. Is there a lot more flexibility in, in how you approach the punishment, how you take care of the, the juvenile defendant than you would in the adult system? I think at the, at the juvenile level, I don't know if more f flexibility as opposed to... More options? Maybe a more favorable disposition towards the offender. I mean, I think we recognize that these are kids. Uh, and I, uh, there, there are, are some kids who, who are, are more trouble than others. Uh, but you really do spend a lot of time uh, trying to figure out the whys. You know, sometimes when we get into, into adult court, as I said, you know, we had a, from, from 2015 to 2016 in Cumberland County, we had a, a jump in adult cases of, of over 600. That, that's a huge jump. Uh, and when we're trying to, to manage that amount of cases with the limited resources that we have, uh, we can't always spend a tremendous amount of time uh, in, into the whys. You know, we have to deal with the what's, the what happened, uh, what can we do to make the victim whole? Uh, juvenile court gives you a little more leeway to deal with the why. Uh, and, and that's one of the positives about it. One of the negatives is, uh, you know, in Cumberland County, you'll never have, uh, you never would have had uh, a situation uh, like what happened in, in Luzerne County because with the kids for cash scandal, because so much of that was done without lawyers. Every kid gets a lawyer in Cumberland County. It's always been that way. 
if if the parents can't afford a lawyer for the juvenile, they get a public defender. Always been that way. So that's a real positive. That can be a negative, though, in terms of uh, sometimes we have philosophical disagreements uh, with with the defense, uh, who who uh, has to look at it from a legal sense also, but also should be looking at it as what is best for the kid. You know that that's that's the the overarching question here. People are going to have different opinions on that. Uh, I don't think you can come in automatically as a defense attorney in any system and say, well, any sort of adjudication is off the table. You know, we'll, we'll negotiate with you, but I'm taking this off the table. Well, then that's not a negotiation, and that's what I do for a living. So we've we've been having that bat- that battle for years. Uh, but we are able to spend more time on on the whys, and the whys is it's important in the adult system too. And and in the adult system, the why is a sentencing issue, right? The the, the crime's been committed. We have to deal with that. Uh, if we want to get into the why and what caused this, let's talk about that at sentencing. That's more of a case disposition issue in the juvenile system, if that makes sense to you. That that's how I look at it philosophically. Judge Placey said, you know, every case is different, and that there's no playbook for him to sit there and, and, and hear these adjudication hearings and, and make a decision because every case is so different usually. Right, and, and you see, uh, it's, it's interesting sometimes, I think, for, for people when they, when they look at prosecutors because uh, often, and, and people do this for, 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 for a reason, but they want to paint prosecutors as, well, you, know, you just want scalps. You know, you just want convictions and, and, and you just want numbers. Uh, there may be prosecutors like that. I don't know many of them. I think, I think thoughtful people get into this business. Uh, and, and, you know, we, there are differences among us, certainly. Uh, but you see people who, who commit crimes, or we often do. I mean, a lot of those are mistakes, and there are reasons that, that people do that. Now, uh, I have to be sensitive to that, but also I have a society and victims that I have to stand up for. So I have to make sure on one hand that we're, that we're taking care of that. But on the other hand, can we positively impact the offender to try to make sure they don't come back? In the adult world, so much of that is, is, is uh, about treatment, mental health treatment. I mean, the criminal justice system is, is frankly the intersection of, of uh, mental health issues and, and uh, substance issues at this point, really, f- for the most part. We're seeing the same thing. Uh, with with uh, juveniles, uh, family issues. But one of the great things that, that juvenile court allows us to do, and Cumberland County's done it particularly well, is treat the family. You know, there are things called, uh, there's functional family therapy, and, and the numbers uh, are great showing that, that, that it positively impacts the kids and that they don't come back uh, to the system. And, and we're able to do a little bit more of that in juvenile court. But there is no... Uh, there's no set way to handle case. Every kid's in a different situation. Uh, uh, you can see, you know, I don't want to talk about good kids and bad kids, so I'll talk about kids in the system and kids out of the system. You can see how difficult it is for kids who, who never even enter into the criminal justice system, uh, and then there's the, the kids who do. So I, I think it's, it's extremely difficult to be uh, a kid and, and a teenager in 2017. And as a prosecutor, um, how important is it to you to make sure that whatever these kids are going through as a juvenile is is rectified is corrected and and so they don't come back into the adult system and do something worse or just end up being another number well the goal the goal of of the criminal justice system um if if there are are if there's a top five you know one of the top fives would be we want to reduce recidivism you know we want to try to find ways uh to make sure that people don't come back a lot of the work that i've done uh, outside sort of the traditional work of prosecution, which is working with police and filing cases and doing cases in court, has, has been around those issues of how do we keep people from coming back in. Um, in the adult system, I've, I've done a lot of work around expungements, you know, understanding that people have committed their crime, they've done their time. Uh, how do we make it so that it doesn't impact them negatively for the rest of their life when it's a mistake they made many years ago? And we have expungements and pardons, and, and those, those processes are being expanded. Uh, in in the juvenile world, uh, one of the things that 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 I've spent a lot of time on is uh, a group called Fight Crime Invest in Kids, which is a, a, a group that takes no uh, public money; it's all foundation money. They advocate for 
smart spending uh, that keeps kids out of the criminal justice system. And that is things like nurse family partnership, Head Start, pre-K. Uh, and and the numbers are, are significant showing that, that when, when young people are involved in those kind of programs, they are far less likely to get involved in the criminal justice system, and it has a beneficial impact on their family as well. So if we could capture every kid in one of those systems and they never came in, that would be great. That would be success. However, we can't, uh, and we have juveniles enter into the criminal justice system, which uh, I can tell you with, with 20 years of experience under my belt, and, and I know that most of my colleagues would agree, that is our best chance within the system to positively impact a, a human and make sure that they don't come back. It is, it is doing the right thing in juvenile court. And to that end in Cumberland County, uh, I think we do it in, in a thoughtful manner. Uh, we, we don't always agree, and we've had problems over the years, and, and we have problems every week because it's an adversarial system. Uh, however, uh, over time, uh, our numbers, our numbers are good. Uh, our recidivism numbers uh, are good, and and there is there really is a shared goal. You know that we come at we come at from different directions. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. Support for real life, real issues, juvenile justice comes from the Cumberland County Bar Foundation. WITF's Multimedia News Director Tim Weber continues his conversation on juvenile justice with Cumberland County District Attorney Dave Freed. Do you think the public understands that the juvenile justice system is where you have your best chance to, to keep people out of the, uh, the criminal system? That's a good question. Uh, uh, I don't know the answer to that question because I think the public as a whole, uh, in a safe county uh, like Cumberland County, which, which is by, by any measure a pretty safe place to live, uh, it, it's always uh, been my thought, and I hear this when I'm out talking to people in public, um, I think the public would be surprised about the amount of diversion and treatment that we already do uh, and all the ways that we as prosecutors are finding to keep people out of prison. Uh, and I know, look, the, the, the rubber hits the road in the big cases, and we're talking about prison crowding and, and things like death penalty and, and things like that. But there are, there are the vast majority of cases we're talking about probation or, or ways to resolve those cases. So um, I, I think there's more of an understanding than there used to be with the publicity that we've had surrounding these sorts of issues and with how we, we treat even serious juvenile offenders, juvenile lifers you know, who've committed homicide. As, as those cases, those types of cases have gotten more publicity, I think maybe there is more of an understanding that, that, that this is our best chance. I can tell you dealing with police and, and victims of juveniles, even though uh, they do get frustrated as, as crime victims do, um, people and, and police are much more willing to uh, look at a resolution and, and, and agree to a resolution that cuts a kid a break because it's a kid. Uh, and, and I think that's that's a you know, it's just one of the, the measures of society in general is is we understand that that uh, young people are going to make mistakes uh, growing up uh, and and part of our job in the system is to judge how serious is that mistake what sort of consequence should you have you know one of the things that we do in this system is and we've done this for years um, when when a when a juvenile completes supervision and and, and turns eighteen and and if they've been crime-free, you know, they're entitled within a certain amount of time to have their case expunged, which means that the records are taken away and everything goes away. Uh, and the law provides that a petition can be filed uh, and, and the case can be expunged. And I have the opportunity to weigh in as district attorney and, and juvenile probation does. Well, in Cumberland County, we generate those on our own as a system. So uh, young people don't have to file. We generate the petitions for expungement on our own and take care of that understanding that uh, if a juvenile offender has done what we have asked uh, uh, him to do or her to do, uh, then they should receive uh, the, the benefit down the road. Is there anything you'd like the public to know about the juvenile justice system that they might not be aware of because of sort of the confidentiality that's involved? Wow. Uh, I'd love to invite everybody to come and, come and visit. Uh, I know that's not realistic. I'd like the public to know uh, from the perspective of, of the district attorney in this office in particular, um, what a premium we place on uh, uh, the juvenile system and, and our efforts in the juvenile system. 
to the point that the elected district attorney personally reviews every juvenile petition. The supervising attorney uh, in juvenile court in Cumberland County is the next in command, my first assistant district attorney, uh, who, who has uh, 20 plus years of experience as a prosecutor. Uh, we take it uh, very seriously. Um, so while sometimes I think it might look to the public as, oh, it's just a kid in it's juvenile court and that kid's gonna get a slap on the wrist, uh, we're trying to work within the dictates of the, of the juvenile justice system to make sure that we come up with the best outcome for that child, but also understanding that victims and the protection of society are, are paramount importance uh, to me as district attorney. You know, our, our mission here, uh, whether it's juvenile court or adult court, it's a very simple mission statement, is to do, to, to do justice in a fair, effective, and efficient manner. So we try to be uh, as fair as we can, understanding that, that every case is unique and as consistent as we can. Uh, knowing what we know uh, about these young people. You mentioned um, sexual assault has, has sort of gone up in the juvenile justice system. Have you seen an impact as far as opioid abuse or anything like that? Has that kind of trickled down to the juvenile system? So not, not so much with uh, the use uh, and the kids using. Um, we've, we've seen the impact on... Um, the lack of supervision and the lack of direction for kids whose parents are involved uh, in, in uh, opioids and, and heroin. Uh, and the opioid crisis and heroin crisis is much more than uh, people using and, and, and overdosing. It is uh, the, the, the breakdown of families and it is the things that people have to do to feed that illness, uh, which is uh, lie to the face of their family members and steal from them uh, in order to get money to buy the drugs to feed the habit. And that trickles down uh, to the family, to lack of supervision uh, with the kids. Um, you know, the sexual offenses are tough because we had a, a, a there was a point where um, when, when the Adam Walsh uh, Act was enacted in Pennsylvania that we had some very serious, some stringent re registration requirements for, for juvenile sex offenders. That's been rolled back a little bit by Pennsylvania's courts. Um, one of the things that we've done effectively here uh, is as quickly as we can possibly do it when we have someone who's even accused of that offense, if, if, if the, the parents are amenable to it, the defense attorney is amenable to it, we try to get that juvenile evaluated as quickly as we possibly can, uh, and if treatment is necessary, into treatment uh, to make sure that, that we're having that positive impact. You know, we've only had a very few juveniles o over my 12 years as DA that I have thought I must have an adjudication on this juvenile because I am worried about what's going to happen uh, later on when this juvenile turns 21. Uh, uh, there have been a very few of them. We have a couple of them pending right now, and there, there was one in particular that I look back on, and uh, uh, we ended up charging that juvenile's parents as well with endangering the welfare of a, of a child at the felony level, and we convicted them of that because of the environment in which this boy was raised. He didn't know any different. It doesn't change the fact that he committed a very serious sexual offense against a three-year-old. Uh, those cases are few and far between, but but we, we do see more... Uh, we've seen more of the cases, and, and uh, one of the things that, that uh, in the coming weeks we, we were having a sit-down meeting with juvenile probation about is we've seen an increase in these cases. We feel inundated, uh, and, and we're wondering what you're seeing and, and, and what we can all do to try to make sure that we don't lose the positive momentum we have of getting, getting these young people into treatment as early as we can. I was surprised, too, at the number of cases that, that were like that when I was sitting in on court. And again, it was just a handful of times. But is there anything that besides what you mentioned earlier that you can point to? I mean, were you taken, taken off guard a little bit by, wow, look at these numbers. They're really jumping here. Yes. And, and uh, just consider this dynamic, uh, the, the intra-family case. So, so your parents, you have multiple kids. Sometimes it's... it's, it's uh, uh, you know, second marriages or third marriages and, and, and kids and stepkids. But uh, think of it as just if, if it's a, a parents and, and multiple children, you have, you have one child offending on the other. Uh, think of the choices uh, that families are asked to make. 
because you have to protect uh, the child who was victimized. Uh, but you also have to try to do the best you can uh, for the child who's been accused. And on one side, you have a defense attorney in your ear telling you, well, here are the potential life impacts uh, of a conviction on this child. And then on the other side, you have uh, victim officers and, and prosecutors and, and most likely therapists on both sides saying, here, here's what the impacts are. And it puts parents in an incredibly difficult position. And I think, I think anybody who does this kind of work respects that uh, and understands that. One of the things that, I, uh, another thing that I think the public needs to know, whether it's the juvenile system or the adult system, ultimately, while, while, while victims uh, have uh, a tremendous amount of input, uh, as they should, and we have a Crime Victims Bill of Rights in Pennsylvania that guarantees that input, uh, ultimately the decision uh, of how a case is resolved uh, is, is up to the prosecutor. It's up to the chief law enforcement officer or, or the people that he designates. So uh, uh, I have to weigh uh, all of those factors uh, in making my ultimate determination about what I think the best way is, is for a case to go. Uh, it's nice at this point in my career that I can say I can look back on, on 20 plus years of experience having done this. Uh, because part of this is, you know, you say to, to victims and even even the families of offenders, you've got to trust me that this is fair. And I understand that that, that they may not agree uh, to that. And then sometimes when we can't come up with a resolution, I will come up with the resolution I think is, is the most fair. Uh, if the other side doesn't go for it, then we go in front of the judge and the judge will make the decision that, that, that he or she believes is fair. Uh, but from our perspective, it's not controlled by the victim that 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 input is vital and i want that input as early as i can possibly get it and that often changes over time as people come to terms with what has happened uh but ultimately the decision is mine it's a decision that that, that i'm elected to make and it's it's a decision that, that a prosecutor has to embrace that's uh, dolphin county or excuse me that was cumberland county district attorney david freed talking with witf's multimedia news director Tim Lambert as our Juvenile Justice Series, Real Life, Real Issues, Juvenile Justice Series continues. Tomorrow for uh, on part of the program, we're going to be discussing the role of the family in juvenile justice. That's coming up on tomorrow's Smart Talk. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who has offered transapical mitral valve repair procedures for more than three years and currently serves as a trial site for 16 clinical trials. Information at pinnaclehealth.org slash myheart.